1: Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined.
2: What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. Hey guys, have you checked out 336 Daily? Did you know that sometimes, in fact, pretty often I've been recording it in my car while driving to different job sites? That's how easy Anchor is to make podcasts. With Anchor, you can record your podcast and edit your podcast and upload your podcast all in the Anchor app. And then it makes sure it goes out to iTunes and Spotify and wherever you need to put it. it. They take care of everything, distribution. They help you with advertising and getting in commercials. Check out the Anchor app. Go to the app store and download the Anchor app for free or go to anchor.fm to check it out.
1: From behind home plate. Your Orioles Talk, Section 336, the next generation of Baltimore sports talk.
2: Today on the show, we will look back at this week in Orioles baseball. Wonder if we'll see any of these guys in five years from now as Orioles, as well as look at the draft and what we would like the Orioles to draft in a couple weeks. Plus, we'll talk with Ron Snyder, who wrote a book, A Season to Forget, all about the 1988 Orioles.
1: Section 336, Matt, Josh, and Bert are at the games hidden behind home plate. Let's go, oh! Section 336.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Baltimore sports fans of all ages, welcome to Section 336, next generation of Baltimore sports talk. I am your dearly stuttering host Matt Sroka. As always, I'm joined by the Zany Bert Brody. What up, coconuts? And the Button Lover
2: Josh Sroka. How you guys doing?
4: Good. Okay. Yeah. Have a
2: good weekend. Have you Have either of you guys ever used a uh, a uh, I'm blanking on it a pressure washer? Before. Yes. Yes. All right. I've been pressure washing my desk deck, Mandy and I, as we continue to uh, work on the house. You know, every moment is working on this house to so try to sell it because for some reason you make the house better than when you lived in it when you try to give it to someone else. So like our, uh, our studio, which is now an office, has flooring. I put flooring down all weekend and it makes this room sound a little different. But I was pressure washing today and I was uh, using it to strip all the paint off the deck. Worked really well. It's really powerful. But then I, my legs were covered with paint chips. So you know what I did? I used the pressure washer to get the paint chips off my leg. Don't do that.
1: Yeah, it's, it'll peel all the skin yeah. off your legs. It,
2: peel, it peeled a bunch of
3: skin off, and my legs bleeding. now.
2: Yeah, that's dangerous. Yeah. The <laughs> whole yes. purpose of a pressure Just, washer is
3: to peel the top layer of something off. Yes. Yeah.
2: But I put it on a weaker setting, and I thought I'd be okay. <laughs> oh I was my gosh. not. <laughs> So uh, just a little for all the little 336ers out there, if you ever get a pressure washer, it's made to uh, clean the deck, not your legs.
1: When when I lived in Nashville, I worked at a country club. And one of our duties at the end of each day was to pressure wash all the golf carts. And we had one of those heavy duty, uh, crazy pressure, water pressure things to clean these things. Clean right. the golf carts. And my bosses like, put the fear of God into all of us. They're like, do not spray each other with this thing. It <laughs> will hurt you badly.
3: <laughs> and so that just makes you want to do it probably, right?
1: <laughs> no, I stayed, we, we did not mess with that pressure washer, man. They, we were scared of it.
2: <laughs> now, now you're sounding like Gigi. I, should, I was telling Gigi about how I uh, shot my leg. And she said, be careful with that. You can cut off a finger.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah.
2: Hey,
3: hey, Big. No, I don't think it's that bad, but it's it's uh, it's bad. Hey, big news. Uh, first of all, big, big news. Speaking of Gigi. And then I don't know if I've ever shared my story about working at Savannah Park Golf Center. I want to share that story real quick. But, um, Josh, I noticed this week a big moment for you in your Twitter life.
2: Uh, something happened in
3: my Twitter. life. This may have happened before. And I didn't realize it until just today.
2: Okay, then fill me in. What's what's going on on the Twitter? You
3: now officially have more Twitter followers than mom. Oh, so I don't
2: do I really? You do.
3: Congratulations. That's a big uh, deal. I
2: feel like I feel like we should throw a party or something. <laughs> That's huge. Can we rename the Father's Day celebration? I think it's a now a Josh has more Twitter followers than his mom party. Now Bert, <laughs>
3: Bert and I aren't there yet. Uh, no. but but you have surpassed mom. That so is, congratulations. That is awesome. Yeah, it just it just took That's, you 40 years of your life, but you finally did it.
2: Oh, it took a long time. But you know what? That made my night. I did not notice that. <laughs>
3: yeah, I noticed that. That is great. And then I saw that you passed. I got all excited. And then I went and checked mine, and I'm still not there yet.
2: Yeah, you got it. I think I'm a little more active on Twitter than you guys. Totally. I can't <laughs> complain about how many
1: followers I have because that would re- actually require me to tweet.
2: Right. Yeah. No, I, I have lots of conversations. Like, I enjoy the conversations on Twitter, except for Raven fans. I get flooded with, with – uh, Nerdy football talk. Oh yeah. I, I, sorry, but I ignore those tweets most of the time and let film study. Like I'll get tagged in film study conversations. I will ignore them because I know that I'm not as smart as a lot of guys. (laughs) So I'll just back off on those.
3: Yeah. Oh, a quick story about Savannah Park Golf Center. I don't know if I've ever shared this, but you mentioned Bert mentioned something about golf carts. I wasn't really paying attention. There, my first job, uh, was ever was Severna Park Golf Center uh, in Severna Park. And my first day he wanted me to cut cut the greens and so I went out there to to cut the greens and I cut all the greens all nine holes It's a lot of cutting it was like an all morning to afternoon job. I come back up to the top you know to the main offices that overlook the the whole golf course and my boss calls me over to come look at the golf course with them and he looks me in the he looks me in the eye and he says, "Son, you drunk." And so, and then I said, no, I'm not drunk, sir. I'm, I'm fine. And he said, look, look at those greens. I didn't realize you were supposed to cut the greens in a certain pattern, like these straight line patterns. Cause the, it shows up, right? It shows up which way you cut it. <laughs> right. And I was but just cutting they, it they, any they which way. So. No, they just said cut the greens. And so I just cut it any which way to do it. And so I had all these lines zigzagging all across the greens. And uh, he, he accused me of being drunk. I said, I'm, it's 11 o'clock. I'm sweating. I'm not drunk. And he told me to go out there and recut all the greens. And so I went out there and spent the afternoon recutting all the greens. That's my Cervant you know, Park golf center story.
2: I've played probably 100 times on Serena Park Golf center It's a little nine-hole course. Yeah. It's not really uh, what you would call a, a- – Golf
3: course. Oh, I know. I don't know. <laughs> I said, uh, Hey, buddy, have you seen your golf course? All right. This is not exactly Beverly Hills here. All right. Calm like, down about your greens. Right. Like, there's lucky that there's grass yeah. in, most, in most of it. I hated that job. And I thought cutting the greens was the worst. And then he asked me to go after that. The next day, it was picking up balls uh, near the fence on the driving range as people were on the driving range. So uh, I wanted to go back and cut greens after I had to pick up balls in the driving range while they were even shot at me
2: but did you have to walk and do that because i've always wanted to be the guy who drives the little tractor to pick them up yeah the boss
3: while, while people the are, boss are would always drive the tractor and i would have to yeah, go around awesome. with an individual scooper by the fence and get the ones that the uh uh cart couldn't get i
1: i drove the tractor that was another part of my jobs at the bell me country club nashville tennessee and uh <laughs> yeah it sounds awesome like, I want to be the guy who drives the tractor in the driving range while everybody's shooting, uh, driving not golf you. balls. Uh, it's not that cool. <laughs> it, <laughs> it scares the crap out of you when you get <laughs> smacked in the cage. Like, uh, you know, to be thankful the cage is there, but it's, it, it startles you when you're not expecting it.
3: And you know, every driving range golfer is gunning for you, too. Oh, totally. Yeah.
2: <laughs> that is, you know, that's how they came up with the whole Top Golf thing. Is, is it all the the start of that is aiming for the guy in the golf cart, and then it came with Top Golf where they got all these goals and different point levels and everything. It all came from that. Is there yeah. any
3: Top Golf uh, in driving in uh, driving distance of us? Uh, yes, about an hour away in uh, like Northern Virginia. Uh, there,
2: there's, there's one supposed, in Jacksonville and one in Baltimore. All right, well we'll hit up the one in Jacksonville. <laughs> we'll, we'll when we go see the uh, Mighty Shrimp or whatever. What's the team? The, the super uh, giant shrimp. Something when like that. When we go see the jumbo giant shrimp? shrimp baseball team, jumbo shrimp makes more sense. Yes. When we see the jumbo the shrimp. The enormous shrimp. we we'll pick up <laughs> uh, Hey, yeah. J- I will say that yeah. whatever you said, country club, sounds a whole lot better than golf center. No, it was. I mean, it it was. a title, the <laughs> type of employment.
1: It was wealthy people uh, at the country club. Yeah, yeah. It was like your Vince Gills and your. Reese Witherspoons and stuff like yeah. that. Vince Gill doesn't go to
2: the golf center. No, no.
3: no we had a bunch of high schoolers.
2: <laughs>
3: right. Yeah. Um, hey, Josh, is there any rumor that you're moving to Florida because you're a fair weather fan, and now that the Orioles are terrible, you want to get closer to Tampa Bay and the AL East? Is there any truth to those rumors? Because people are talking. Uh, uh,
2: no, but I did have this. I was wondering. I had this thought about I wonder if there's less Yankee and Red Sox fans down there less here and if i'd have to deal with less and then i remembered there's spring training down there so it's going to be and retire it's freaking so florida yeah that's where everyone yeah, goes to it, probably going to be worse
3: it's going to be worse yeah, be worse. yeah. So,
1: they're everywhere uh, especially yeah. florida
3: yeah right. if there was a, a place in the u.s that didn't have boston or yankee fans sign me up for that right
2: i'll i'll tell you what though the whole concept of selling this house makes me not want to move it's been so much work
1: oh yeah i am not i'm dying in this house no,
2: that's what I—that's what I thought. I thought we were going to die in this house, and uh it turns out we're not. So I, I fixed every little thing in this house, and man, Mandy's done a ton of work as well. Yeah,
3: that—that does, that does not sound like fun. Not at
2: uh, all.
3: We bought a car this weekend. That was enough for me. You know the—I don't even—I was- don't know why they have car salesmen anymore. Can I say that? They you go out there, they come on you. Like, what are you—what are you doing, dude? Well, I don't- I, yeah. I I've done my research. I know exactly how much your cars cost. I know how much they cost across the street. You're not selling me, dude. I know everything. I know I did the Carfax report. Or is it Carfax? Or Car Fox? I don't know, but there's a fox on the report. Yeah, it's, it's fact. Okay, it. but
2: why is there a fox on there then? Because people get confused, and let's make it more confused. I don't. Okay, know. but anyway, but, see, I, but you made a mistake. Yeah, what? You should have done Carvana, where they give you the giant coin and you put it in like a uh, like
3: a. Uh, like a candy machine. Wait, you put a giant the, coin in like a candy machine and then what and then, and then a car pops out?
2: Yeah. You pick out the car you want online or something and then you go to the place they give you a coin and you put the coin in and then it's like a big uh it's a big machine filled with that looks like um like a gumball machine but it's filled with cars and it brings the car out to you. Any car or the one you picked? The one you pick. It's not it's not like a put in this money and you get a random car. It's not like a, That's how a gumball like, machine works. You don't know what like color gumball, gumball you're going to get. Yeah, but haven't you seen – but if it's kind of like a fancy gumball machine where you get to it's, pick what color gumball you want. It's
1: more like a vending machine where you select like D4 yes. for the Kit-Kat yeah, yeah, bar and
3: then it. it comes down.
2: Yeah. Oh. well, so though I it, like the idea of it being random.
3: I had a similar issue. I had a similar thing where I just said – where um, I said I want that car and the, and the car, car dealer said, hey, George, bring the car around. It was a similar type deal.
2: It's not as fun. Instead of the
3: coin, I had George. <laughs> okay.
2: All right, then I don't know what you're complaining about. And
1: to your point with the salesman, you know, you did all your research, but yeah. at the end of the day, the salesman still has to go in the back and get the OK from his boss to sell you the car at the price. Why don't we just get rid of the salesman? Let me deal directly with the guy who's going to tell me yes or no.
2: And why does someone have to tell you yes or no? Why
1: can't you just have a real price?
3: That's what why did it take
1: a half hour for him to answer the stupid question? Yeah,
3: <laughs> That's what I'm saying I don't need any. I just need I just need a clerk to check out with. Just give me that person, I saw the price online, I'll take that one for that price online, where's the clerk, let's check out.
2: You know, there's a lot of things in life that haven't caught up to like the internet and changed their ways for the internet. And car buying is one of those, real estate's the other one because I don't understand why I got to pay all these high percentages to real estate agents when I know everyone just looks online at the the stuff anyway.
3: Yeah, So yeah, you don't have any secret database to people, you have the internet.com. Yeah, I've got Zillow also. Yeah. And I got Realtor.com. Yeah, I don't. It's, it's a throwback to when before those times, right? Like when you really right. had a, a like a a, a a rolodex of names.
2: Yeah, it's like the newspaper industry still trying to ignore that the the internet's there, and and trying to find like things to do. There's there's a bunch of or uh, there's a bunch of industries that need to adapt. Yeah, and a lot of them are sales related.
3: Yeah, it's true but apparently like some people, I guess still go in there, like not knowing what they're looking for and need a salesperson. I don't know. Um, cause they even a lot of places have like haggle free now. Like, cause there's no haggle. It's it, the price is the price yet. There's still like two people always involved. Bert's right. I was even talking to the guy, even just, I w- went there just to like t- test drive just to, and before I left, he had to go get his boss just to come meet me. Like, what, what are we doing here?
2: Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and then do they send in like the finance lady? Who tries to sell you on like undercarriage cleaning oh, yeah. or something. Just yeah. when you
3: think you got out there clean, right? Just when you think, okay, I got the car I want. I got the price I want. I'm good to go. Then they send you to the room and that's where the fun really happens. Lojack.
1: Buy Lojack. Yes. You need it.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Or, yeah. Was, but anyway, we, we got the car. And it was relatively actually pain, pain-free the way we did it. So it's good. Um, all right. That's enough small talk. Let's get to some but baseball.
1: What, what isn't pain-free
3: is, yeah. <laughs> is watching the Orioles um guys uh, bad news last week it was good news when we asked the question is Chris Davis back now we need we mean in a negative way is Chris Davis back is Chris Davis because back. now he just strikes out all the time um though in fairness in yesterday's game everybody was striking out so I guess that's
2: and and the day before only Trey Mancini got one hit and that was it yeah that was the only hit for the game yeah so it's it's not a Chris Davis problem. It's a
3: Baltimore Orioles problem. Yeah, I don't really care. Hey,
2: they're whipping up on the Yankees today. Yeah, that's what I was going
3: to say. I really don't care how we play against the Indians. I don't that much. I would like to win, but I really don't care if we lose. Um, I do care. I really want to beat the Yankees. Tonight's kind of a big game in a couple of respects. One, it's the Yankees. So we have a chance to um, keep them out of first place as they're in a tight race with Tampa Bay. Um, and secondly, Andrew Kashner is kind of – continuing his debut to be traded.
2: Yeah, every time he pitches. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a uh, showcase.
3: Yeah, and he's he's actually pitched really well this year. Uh, certainly Cobb hasn't got on the field. Um, so as far as starting, Dylan Bundy has has been up and down. Though we, Dylan Bundy did have a good start. I don't know. Dylan Bundy irks me. Um, but uh, Kashner, he could be a trade chip. We may not have many, but he could be one.
2: Right, right. Should we uh, – I've got my, – my concern for tonight's game is that the yeah, Orioles have scored six runs, and I'm going to the game on Tuesday and on Wednesday, which means if they're scoring six runs today, they're going to score like one tomorrow and none on Wednesday. Is that how that works? I don't know. It <laughs> seems to be they have like one good game a week. I'm also concerned that Hanser Alberto is out there, and I don't think he really knows how to play
3: second base. Oh, So that concerns you, but it doesn't concern you that he's one hit away from the cycle tonight? He? He's got three hits, a single, a double, and a home run.
2: Okay. Have you seen Hanser or Herberto? There is no way he gets a triple tonight.
3: Really? This, this is a guy who plays every position on the field.
2: Yeah, sure. He can play every position in the field. That just means – that doesn't mean anything. If you play every position on the field, what that really means is you're not great at any one position.
3: Do I that's not what that means? Do I need to remind
2: Name name a great ball player who plays multiple positions.
3: Um uh, that, that guy for the twins, Gonzalez. What's he play? He plays all the positions. He was the guy who used to play for the Astros, Mar, uh, Marvin Gonzalez. Uh is he an all star? He was not he was an all star, but he's a solid player. Another right, I'll give you another solid one.
2: Player, not great player. I'll give you another player. one. Ryan Flattery. <laughs>
3: you hate Ryan Flattery. Yeah, I know. But you can make a good uh career out of that, playing multiple positions but that's what
2: the Orioles have is a bunch of Ryan Flaherty type players
3: yeah and they refuse to call any prospects up where's right. where's my DJ Stewart he's playing really well uh yeah. where's my Chan Cisco
2: because they don't care about this year
3: yeah they there's they don't yep um but it's still nice to see the Orioles beat the Yankees I don't care if we lose to the Indians, like I said. Let's save all our guys. Let's, like, throw out Hans Alberto to pitch against the Indians and save all our good arms for uh, for, yeah, for the Hans, Yankees. Hans has
2: pitched.
3: I know. He I, know he pitch pitch, early, I know. So sure. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, Josh, just to yep. go against your narrative that Hans Alberto can never have a triple, um, I would like to – two counterpoints. Um, okay. One, I believe Matt Wieter's first hit, or one of his first hits, I think his very first hit, was a triple. Um Okay. We were there. We saw it. Secondly, um, Hans Alberto today already has a stolen base. So those are two things that would go against your theory that he won't get a triple. So we are on definite cycle watch.
2: Um, okay. Fine. I'll give you cycle watch. I just don't think it'll happen. Hans
1: Alberto's fifth on the team with zero triples.
3: <laughs> Thank, you. Hey. Thank you for that. Triples are hard. Hey. You
2: guys – That's not the stat you wanted to bring up. What you should have brought up was May 29th, 2015, when Hanser Alberto made his debut with the uh, Texas Rangers. Right. His very first hit, a triple. Oh, really? There you go. That's that's funny. You should have went with Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, okay. We are on uh, whatever, Cycle Watch. Cycle Watch. That's much better than a bunch of the other watches we've been having lately.
3: Yeah, so it's been a tough week uh, since we last talked. Um, we uh, there was a couple of those r- weird rain, rain delays in New York. Remember the start of the week, it thought we looked like we would never play baseball again. Uh, right. But we did the, the double header on Wednesday. We lost both those games. We lost the Indians on Thursday. Um, we won Friday, and then we lost on Saturday and lost on Sunday. So we're we're limping a bit here. Um, right. Have you noticed how long the rain
2: delays have been? And, like, how they'll wait forever, like, like, especially with those Yankee games where they really tried to get that game in, you know, the one where they were bringing out pitchforks and everything. Yeah. Uh, and apparently it's pressure from Major League Baseball that is tired of all these rain delay games and take and, uh the players union being upset with giving away off days. So baseball is trying to mandate them to do whatever they can do to make up a game in the same series.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I don't, you know, going with technology, I think it's reasonable to be able to conclude if you're going to be able to play baseball that day. And yeah, there's a chance you could be wrong, but nine out of 10 times you'll be right. And who cares if you're wrong at one time, they should have the policy that my, uh, my, my County has, if ever there's the threat of snow, everything shuts down, even at the mere threat, mm -hmm. they should be more quick in baseball to like call the game if it looks like it's gone, if there's a 99% chance of rain from 6 o'clock till 2 a.m., just cancel the game, dude.
2: <laughs> yeah, I get that. But it's all about money and about getting people in the seats. Uh, of course, the Orioles did do the right thing on Mother's Day after the three-hour delay offered uh,
3: tickets to, to
2: people to come back.
3: Yeah, I don't yeah, think that's necessary, but good for them, I guess. Yeah. So, but uh, – I don't
2: understand why Yankee Stadium has such bad drainage, why they had all that water in there when it's one of the newer stadiums. When we've heard forever about how like, Camden Yards has some type of vacuum cleaner that sucks all the water down.
3: Yeah, I don't remember last time I saw that, like brooms uh, pushing piles of water. Like Well, it was yeah, – That's brooms, not a good look. It
2: was, it was pitchforks, and then there was some machine that I couldn't figure out what it was that they were rolling around.
3: Yeah, it was like something out of the eighties, the whole idea of of using the the whatever, the the brooms to sweep out the water. What what are we doing? Yeah. This is a major league field and a new one.
2: Right, right. That was strange.
3: Hey, I saw um people were, were criticizing like, you know, the endless debate on why no one comes to the game. And then I was <laughs> I'm so tired of that debate. Well, I was looking at ticket prices, and the Orioles had pretty reasonable ticket prices on average. Um, but I was wondering if...
2: Except that's that's kind of a deceptive stat, that page. that's that I saw that being pushed around on Twitter this week. Yeah. Because those numbers are from the second-hand market. Is that what they're from? It's our, yeah, the, none of those stats are based on, uh, like, whatever. Bo- not box office, what do they call it? Box. It's not, uh, it, it's not straight from the team. It was all, like, from... from some second mark, whether it was StubHub or someone else who did the, who put out that that study.
3: Oh uh, well, I yeah, because I was also wondering like how that balances out with because behind home plate you know, like the Nationals and Yankees and a lot of the other teams have will have like these super expensive tickets yeah. that go right behind home plate. So if you're doing averages since Orioles don't have those really expensive seats, does it kind of throw off some of those averages? I
2: don't know yeah that's true if you you think you should take like i don't know maybe remove the most expen- the most expensive seats and the least expensive seats and figure out the average in the middle or something there should be some way to do it being like the common man but it does
3: feel like our tickets are expensive like I wonder if we compared section three six like our seats section three three six to all you know behind home plate upper lower upper deck across baseball how the Orioles would line up. I don't think it would be the best by far. The cheapest no, and by the far. Problem,
2: no, and the problem is this whole prime elite value that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. The value prices is a reasonable price. So if you're going with that number, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you're going with, like, the Friday night Yankees game, there's that's an outrageous price. Yeah,
3: I can't even figure out uh, ticket prices anymore. I'm glad I'm the, the, the season ticket holder because I, I wouldn't even know. It'd be too hard to figure out how to go to the game and how much it would cost.
2: No, I get confused just when I try to trade our tickets around and they're like, come back with me saying they need more money because I just want to change the game. And I, I don't I don't get it. It's frustrating. Yeah. I want one price.
3: I know. And I want it to be five dollars.
2: <laughs> I, I want it. I want it to be. Yeah. You, It has to be based on the number of wins the team has.
3: Yeah, they should. That's a good way to do it. Like the product or how about the team's salary? Uh, because right now our team's salary has to be uh, near, near the bottom. So how about right, that right. reflect the ticket prices?
2: Yeah, so if the salary is uh, $75, 000, 75 million, then everyone gets in for $7.50. That sounds good
3: to me. Yeah. So I can do that. Yeah, but Because you know, when the Oros are good again in 2023, oh, well, raise your they'll prices. jack up the prices. Right.
2: Um, but whatever. And and at any point now, they're got, they can also drop the whole, uh, you can't bring in your own food, Le- leave, your, leave your subway at home. Oh, yeah, that's going to be a game changer they, for me. Right, because, well, they love to toy that – they love to hold that over the fans' heads and say, well, not only are our tickets reasonable, you can well, to get in food for free. You can't do that in Washington.
3: Yeah, it doesn't matter. I would strap peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to my chest to get well, it it's like in. The movie.
2: It's like, right, it's like the movie theater. Yeah. Like, they say you can't bring anything in, but who doesn't take food into the Yeah, movie it theater? would
3: just mean I have to wear my cargo pants more. That's all that would mean. Yeah.
2: It just means I need to find a spot to shove the Taco Bell. Yeah,
3: that's... I got
1: I got rid of a bunch of my cargo shorts when they went out of style, but I did keep one pair that I wear every time I go to the movies just to <laughs> stuff the cargo
2: pockets full of candy. Yeah, we use a purse, so Mandy carries the purse, not me. But we stick a bunch of stuff in it. And I did. I was at and I was at the movies once and saw a kid walk in with a backpack. I was very impressed with this kid because they didn't check his backpack. He sat down, pulled out a six pack out of his backpack. Oh, wow. So nice. I, I thought that was impressive.
3: I, I still, I'm, I'm afraid to bring in any um, beverages into theater after the incident happened in college where I brought a beer, a bottle, and I put it on the ground, <laughs> in the back, and it knocked over. And you could hear it click, 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 <laughs> click, 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 click all, all the way down. That's like a, They're in the middle of Michael the movie, Scott really bringing the bottle of wine. To I said, never again am I no bringing a beer bottle into a movie theater. <laughs> click, link, click, clink, click, clink. Embarrassing. Hey, uh, did you guys read this story about um, the draft is coming out for just a couple weeks away, two weeks yeah. away from the 2019 MLB draft, where the Orioles are picking for the uh, the number one pick for the uh, second time ever, um, first time since Ben McDonald, number one overall pick. Everyone said we're going to go with Adley Rushman. or Yeah, I think it's Rushman. Um Anyway, there's was an article I saw that the Orioles may consider doing a, something a little bit tricky where it's all about slot money and they might draft Andrew Vaughn, the first baseman, who's expected to go to number three. They might draft him number one. Um, and that would mean they could save money on some of the other picks. Um, and so pick up maybe, you know, a guy who should go higher, but they, they can overpay for with like the 40th some pick that they have. Uh, are you guys intrigued by that, or is that getting too cute? And you just take Adley Rushman because he's the best. It it sounds like
2: a you know what that is? That's a Baltimore Ravens move. That's a dacosta mm-hmm. type move, where where you're shifting things around to to get a better full team. And I don't really care about that. I want the guy who they're praising as the next Jeter with uh, Rushman, or I want or I next want Jeter the that uh, Rushman's the catcher. Okay, fine. The next, fine. You're thinking Bob, Bobby Witt I, Jr. Thinking, is the shortstop. I think Bobby Witt Jr. Yeah, I want Bobby Witt Jr. or I want Rushman. Give me the next Jeter or the next
3: uh, So what would you rather have, though? Would you rather have a catcher who's close to major league ready and kind of can't miss, right, with Adley Rushman? Or would you rather have a high school shortstop who maybe has a bigger upside than, than, than Rushman but it's also a bigger risk because the kid's only 18 and you don't know exactly what he's going to develop into but his ceiling could be higher. Would you go with the, if you're the Orioles? Should you go with the riskier but higher ceiling um, in Bobby Witt Jr. but years away, or would you go with the more, the more surefire bet in Adley Rushman?
2: It's an interesting argument because uh, your shortstop's going to play 160, 162 games, where your catcher might do 150, 140. But the catcher touches the ball a lot and and game management and all that stuff. But I would go with the shortstop simply because I've already been burned on a catcher that was supposed to be the next great thing.
3: Yeah, I mean, and, and I feel like this happens with catchers a lot where it's a risky position because catchers don't stay healthy a lot. Catchers break right. down a lot. So you're taking a risky position and taking an out the rush.
2: Right, ball bounces the wrong way and your guy's out. Yeah, and you're, and
3: you're, yeah, you're down a ball and down a catcher.
2: <laughs> right, right. So I'd go with the shortstop but I seem to remember us having some pretty good uh,
3: luck drafting shortstops in Baltimore. Yeah. Um, the other thing that's interesting is everyone brings up, and they did this, the Astros did this under Michael Elias. He's most famously uh, famous for drafting Carlos Correa, right? And and this, he drafted yeah. Carlos Correa, who was not the best player in the draft. He drafted him and didn't pay him as much because right. uh, they did that little play at the, with the picks. But what no one ever talks about, Here's what everyone talks about. This is a guy. No one talks about his failures. Right. After Carlos Correa, the next guy that drafted was Mark Apple. You know who Mark Apple drafted in 2013? You know where where he's playing now? He invented the iPhone. Right. Isn't that Tim Apple's brother? No. Um, And I don't know if it's Apple or Appel. (laughs) A-P-P-E-L. That would be Appel. Yeah, I I
2: would say Appel. Apple. I do know how to spell Apple, and it's not that way. All right. All right, now where's he playing? Uh,
3: he's he's gone. He retired. He quit baseball.
2: So you're saying that he's worse than uh Ruti Martin.
3: And the guy who they drafted next in next year 2014, your boy Michael Elias drafted a guy named Brady Aiken. Brady Aiken uh, ended up not signing with the Astros and went and and went back to play college college baseball for another year um, and then was drafted by a different team. So so they didn't even get the number 1 the number 1 pick in 2014. Because he didn't sign with them. So people talk about Carlos I bet, I bet Correa. That guy
1: feels dumb now.
3: Yeah. People drafted Carlos Correa, but the next two draft picks missed. And the Brady Aiken was unbelievable because you never have a number one guy. Because these are number one picks are getting. Um, you rarely have a number one guy um, who doesn't sign. Well. And isn't that crazy? Yeah. The Astros had 2012, 13, 14, number one overall picks three years straight. This is the second time ever we're getting a number one pick. Astros, that those year, had it three times straight. And only one of them, Carlos Correa, worked out. And he worked out in a big way, but the other two didn't work out.
2: Yeah, well, but some other non-number ones worked out for the Houston as well. Like, didn't they draft Springer in that time frame as well?
3: Yeah, yeah. He was the the year before a number 11 pick. And Alex Bregman, who's a stud now, was their number one pick the the next year. I mean,
2: the base – the the. The baseball draft is way more random and luck than, like, the football draft. Football, you, you draft guys that are ready to play or close to ready to play. Baseball is so much luck that's, that's in that.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, even, like, best-case scenario with Rushman, who everyone says is majorly ready, he's still going to start at single A like everybody else. And then if he progresses, he'll get to the majors, you know, in a couple years. So even the most prepared guys are not ready to go and start in the majors, which is crazy. Yeah,
1: maybe. But, I mean – uh Chancisco has been in the system for five plus years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we're still not seeing him up here where they, they take Rushman. We might see him uh, in two years. Uh, so, I mean, if he's ready, major league ready, I don't care about the argument for a shortstop. I don't care about, you know, manipulating picks or whatever you're referring to. You got to take <laughs> Rushman. You got to take the best guy. Uh, and, 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 this is going to be the only time the Orioles – only the second time the Orioles have had the number one overall pick. Might as well get comfortable because we're getting it again next year.
3: I don't think we are. No, I think we might have number two next year. The uh, Miami Marlins, the Marlins are putting on a, quite a run for the worst record. It's it's really – it's going to be tough to get the number one spot.
1: Yeah, that's, yep. that's dumb then. Because what? why bother winning any games at all this
2: year? <laughs> uh, you, yeah, because the number two guy is, is what, a half point below the yeah, number one guy? I mean,
3: seriously, I don't know how it's going to work out. It's different every year. But this year, I would be okay with Bobby Wood Jr. at number two. Like, I don't care. Oh, sure. I would take either one this time. So if next year, same right. situation where there's a number one and then a 1A, because that's yeah. what it feels like this year is a one and one. Like, if the Royals, from what I read, if the Royals had the number one pick, they would take Bobby Wood Jr. with the number one pick. They just happen
2: well, to have a second that, pick. Right. And the, and the mock draft that I was reading earlier today had Rushman number one to the Orioles and Bobby Witt to the Royals number yeah. two. Yeah. So, I mean, that's – it's not bad to be number two when those
3: two guys are at the top.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and be studs
3: next year. So, we'll have – I hope we get a number two overall pick. But we'll, we'll definitely have a, you know, top four, I mean, we're top sitting, five pick. I don't want to yeah. sit through this whole season for
1: nothing. <laughs> I mean, all right, fine, all right. fine. I'll take number one. I'll take 1A. But if we start talking third, fourth pick, forget it. You wasted my time.
3: I know, especially because we can't even watch what?
1: prospects. Right. Yeah, right?
2: Well we'll, well, we'll find out soon. I mean, this draft is in two weeks on June 3rd. So in two weeks, we'll actually get to talk about who the Orioles drafted as their number one pick. Their number one
1: pick last year seems to be lighting it up down there. Grayson
2: Rodriguez.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's good start.
1: I've seen his name pop up a lot. And uh, at the time he got drafted, we were still questioning, like there were still tweets out there that he had committed to uh, Oklahoma or something like that. Right. Um, You know, which obviously he didn't follow through on and and stuck with the draft pick, but I had never heard of the guy, you know, but uh, it's good to see that's working towards the positive so far.
3: Yeah, he's part of that stud Delmarva staff where they're all kind of lighting it up. And so he sure. becomes right there with D.L. Hall as, as two of our top pitching prospects. So that's good to see. All right. Well, this isn't the first time that the Orioles have been terrible, right? We, we've seen terrible teams before.
2: <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yeah, many
1: times. Yeah,
3: yeah. And one of the worst teams, one of the worst starts was that 1988 team. Do you see where I'm going with this, Josh? <laughs> yeah, yeah you want to
2: throw it to the interview now yeah so jo- yeah I, go ahead
3: josh
2: i you guys were busy yeah. so i sat you down, sat down with, with uh i sat down with ron snyder and talked about the night he just came out with a book we talk a lot about the 89 did orioles. you sit down with him we, yeah i sat down on my uh on my office chair and he sat down wherever he was on the on his phone all right, all right. and we then we discussed the 1988 orioles and i was telling him how we love i like i always i feel like we started this podcast with just every episode talking about how great the 89 Orioles were. And and it seems like this year the Orioles are getting behind it and prom- and promoting the 30-year anniversary celebration. And I was like, where were all the celebrations last year for the 88 Orioles? No love for the 88 Orioles. I agree. It's outrageous. There was not much. Yeah. There was not much. And, and uh, we should have focused more on it. But Ron did focus on it. And he's got a new book out called A Season to Forget. I read it this week it's uh and i i didn't even do the audio version there's no audio version so i had to actually read like paper and words. you should do your
3: own audio version i
2: i may oh gosh that, that would be good it's not it's not too long yeah. you want to listen to me now no. that would take a season to forget and turn <laughs> it into a
3: book to forget
2: yeah it would also take me with me reading it would take about uh 12 months to do
3: yeah
2: so anyway uh we're going to go to that interview now, uh, recorded a little earlier.
1: All
2: right, joining us now on Section 336 is uh, Ron Snyder, who has got a new book, A Season to Forget. And it's it's it sounds like a negative title. It's rare that you want to forget about a season and then pick up a book to read about it. But this is about the 88 Orioles. And uh, we've talked a lot about the 89 Orioles the last year and the Orioles are celebrating the 89 Orioles this year, but the 88 Orioles, a lot of people do want to forget it. And Ron, you decided to dig into this. Why the 88 Orioles?
4: Well, you know, it was just a surreal time to be an Orioles fan. I'm a a lifelong Baltimorean and I grew up, I was uh, nine years old during that 88 season. I just remember The pain of every game. You're thinking, like, is this going to be the one where it finally ends? Um, From all those losing seasons in the beginning of the 2000s, to being the ALCS, and I think, gosh, you know, just to kind of look back and on a time that you know we would rather forget. But it kind of, you know, those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. So I'm, I mean, it kind of seems like we're going through that right now, unfortunately. But uh, you know, it was just such a surreal time to to follow that that story, and I just kind of wanted to dig in and kind of see um, you know, those who went live through it, what, what they remembered about it. Yeah, nine,
2: 1988 is so much different than now in 2019 in how you cover a baseball team. Uh, you talk about it at the beginning of your book. Uh, I am uh, about the same age as you, so I was 8 and 9 through that season. And it was very similar to you. You, go out, you fall asleep to the radio and listen to the Orioles, and you check the sun in, in the morning to check the box scores. Maybe if you're lucky before you get to school you'll get to that rotation of sports center to see the highlights of the Oriole game uh, but now it's, it, now it seems like where everything is covered moment by moment instantly in Twitter and uh, we had an article last week about the Orioles making the worst play ever in baseball uh, to get national news. How do you think this 88 team would have been covered in today's world
4: Well my social media and, and, and everything else uh, it would have been so much different I mean as it was as that streak got bigger and bigger, you know, the media coverage got more and more and they were, you know, on the, not just on the sports section, but on the, you know, on the tonight show, the today show, good morning, America, CNN, you know, they were everywhere. I mean, today they'd have probably been, you know, hashtag will the Orioles ever win or something along those lines. Um, You know, it would have been just dissected and, and, you know, um, to every, to the nth degree on social media and analytics and everything else, you know, that, that they could have examined with it. Um, the only thing I could, you know, you try to draw a parallel, I think, for Orioles fans, I would say the Hitler streak that Chris Davis had, you know, it, it just got to the point where it was beyond just like, um, you know, a bad streak. You just kind of felt sorry for him at that point, you know, I think, you and that's kind of where the Orioles were, but that streak got bigger and bigger. Um, you know, people just felt sorry for him. Yeah,
2: I think I do totally agree with you that the Chris Davis streak is very much in parallel, even more than last year's bad team. The streak really set that parallel because uh, in 88, you saw that the the Oriole fans kind of rallied around and said, all right, they're losers, but there are losers. We're going to go there. We're going to pack the stadium. And you saw that as the Davis streak got worse you saw suddenly fans were like, no, we're going to support this guy. We're going to cheer him when he's going up to bat. We're going to do whatever we can. We're going to try to help out. You've got the haters always. But there's this whole uh, thing of those are our losers that you definitely saw in the 88 fans.
4: Yeah, and I think, you know, it was a different time in Baltimore sports. You know, I think you look back in 88, you know, the Colts left less than four years ago, you know, about four years ago at that point, um, you know, Maryland basketball was you know, dealing with the fallout of the land bias um, death and, and the fallout that came from that. Um, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of other sports in the area that were relevant. So, and then, you know, there was concern about, well, you know, we'll be we Orioles, you know, and unfortunately we're hearing, you know, although it's, you know, they've been shot down, but there's, Talks, you know, right now, you know, that the the Orioles, you know, could the Orioles one day leave? Um, And and that was very real in 88. Um, You know, depending on the 88 season before, you know, the idea of Canyon Yards came about. Um, And there was talk, will they move to D.C.? Will they move to Tampa? Will they move to, you know, Howard County? You know, who knows? Uh, But there was a lot of talk they would move out of Baltimore. um, And I think the fans were like, well, you know what? We lost the Colts. We're not losing the Orioles, too.
2: And exactly, and I I feel like a lot of that will the Orioles leave that we're having now is still people kind of remembering back. Well, we lost the Colts, and I think of '88 being about five years out of that. Of course, you're going to be sensitive and think, "Oh, this team sucks." If we don't put fifty thousand in the stadium for uh, when they're zero and twenty, then uh, then we're going to lose them too. I, I get that mentality.
4: Yeah, and I mean, look, the, the attendance wasn't great that year. I mean, you know, there was obviously some huge games opening day at 50,000 fans, the fantastic fans. night, you know, with the, that first game home after they won, finally won a game, come back 1-23. You know, but, the, you know, obviously they were a last place team, and their their attendance was starting to uh, bottom out, you know, over, the, over those few years coming off the um, 83 championship team. So, but at the same time, you know, there was that – um, they were the only game in town, so I think there was that additional support, and it was a story. The way it was, uh, the way the team was embraced, and the way the this, this story played out, I think it's something that could only happen in Baltimore. Sure, sure. Now,
2: last year, uh, the Orioles passed the passed the record for losses and got 115, which was eight more than the 88 Orioles. Um, and we looked a lot of that as about, like, well, how does the team lose this bad when they've got Manny Machado and Adam Jones and Jonathan Scope for at least half the season? How do you do that bad? But then you look at the 88 Orioles, and they had two Hall of Famers, Cal Ripken and uh, Eddie Murray on that team. Uh, how yeah. how does all this happen?
4: Yeah, no, I think that's, you know, you look at the analytics and, and you run the numbers, and you would think it somewhere they would just luck a win. I mean, as you said, you said, they had Cal Ripken in his prime, they had Eddie Murray in his prime, or to the tail end of his prime, but still in his prime. You saw Freddie Lynn. you saw Mike Boddicker, um, you had a young Billy Ripken. There were some players on this team. You know, Mickey Tattleson was on this team. Joe Worslach was on this team. Um, but it was just, you know, the, the offense was really struggled, really, really struggled. Um, you know, most of those, there were a good chunk of the team during that streak was hitting under 200. Um, and, you know, they were getting some, at least by today's standards, they were getting some excellent pitching. You know, there were plenty of games where their pitchers were going into the seventh, eighth inning, and they just couldn't get a run. Or you know, they would get some runs, and then the pitching wouldn't work. Or they'd get hitting and pitching, but then a defensive gap would, would, would cost them a game. Um, most of those games were within three runs or less, so they weren't getting blown out every night. But you know, Brooks Robinson, who was on a lot of the TV back then, said they would be watching the game, and he would just say, Look, I'm just waiting for that one moment where this, they're just going to give this game away, and you know he pointed to those moments, you know, almost every night. Sure,
2: and it wasn't as simple as now you watch the Orioles and just say, oh well, when the bullpen comes in, they're going to blow it. The '88 Orioles were finding all types of ways to lose these games.
4: Yeah, it was, it was, you know, it was a, a defensive gap by um, Jeff Stone, or you know, just in the middle of the lineup just not hitting, or. You know the pitching getting a great effort, but then giving up that one home run late in the game, where just you're making good pitchers look great and average pitchers look like Cy Young. I mean that was just it was just you know every way you could possibly lose a game, they managed to do so during that streak.
2: All right, you've talked to a lot of uh, players when writing this book, and I imagine that now now that it's been thirty years, they were a lot more open to you about talking to
4: this than back in the day. Is that correct? Um. I, yeah, for the most part, I had very few people. Surprisingly, uh, not willing to talk. There was maybe one or two players um, that I was able to get a hold of anyway that were um, not willing to um, to talk about this. So, um, was surprising, because so, you never know. You know, it's really easy to call someone up from the '66 team, hey, let's talk about the World Series team, or you know, calling someone up from a, um, any championship team and talking about that. But to call someone and say, hey, can you talk about the the longest losing streak and you know, the start of season in sports history and You know, they're, you know, wondering what you're going to get. But surprisingly, they were, you know, open to talk about it. And it wasn't um, something that they would have called up and said, hey, we want to talk about it. But, you know, when they reached out, you know, they were gracious to talk about it. And, you know, I think it's one of those things where, you know, that what doesn't kill you can only make you stronger. Um, For many of them, you know, it was a learning experience. They've used it um, to teach younger players about perseverance. And, you know, when you think about struggle, think it could always be worse. So, you know, I think, you know, the, many people have taken it as that negative and turned it into a positive, but at the same time, I don't think anyone would ever want to, you know, wish that on their worst enemy as far as, you know, other athletes wishing it on other teams.
2: Sure, sure. Of course not. Um, when, I, when I think, it, I remember before I read your book, um, I remember it, the 88 season came up a little bit. Uh, was it, la- I think it was last year when John Eisenberg came out with the streak book about Cal and the streak, and I remember Cal opening up about a little bit in that about when Cal Senior was fired after an zero and six start to the season, and how that didn't like really motivate him to to work harder to win. Uh, and I was surprised because you talk a lot in, in the book about how the Orioles kind of lost the Oriole way going into that, and when you talk to anyone now, they always talk about how that Oriole way foundation was Cal Ripken Senior, and then you think of the 89 team, and the 89 highlight video starts with we got to get back to the Oriole Way. So there's all this talk about the Oriole Way. Uh, how did the Oriole Way got, get lost? And then with Cal Sr. and that firing of 0 and 6, clearly that didn't motivate anyone because they lost for another two weeks. Uh, mm-hmm. Did that affect mm-hmm. the players in a negative way?
4: Is that like Cal Sr. getting fired? Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, absolutely. I think a lot of them, you know, it was nothing against Frank. Um, Robinson obviously took over, came with a great track record and a lot of respect in the clubhouse. But I think a lot of people felt like, look, it wasn't Cal Senior's fault that they were losing. Um, they just weren't very good. And, you know, Connie Mack or Tony LaRusso or Bobby Cox or Joe Torrey, you, you know, you name it, none of those guys would have won with that group. Um, you know, so it was just a shame. I think some people were so just upset. And the fact that, look, you know, Cal Senior wanted that job his whole life. He worked his way up from the farm system. He developed, helped develop a lot of the players that are key to the Orioles' rise and success in the 60s, 70s, and early 80s. He was hoping to get the job in 82, 83, when you know, they, they passed over him for Joe Alcabelli. Um Alcabelli gets fired. They bring Earl back. Earl, you know, the team collapses in 86, and he finally gets the uh, job in 87, Cal Senior does, and just he's probably thinking to himself, I waited all this time and I was there for Brooks and Jim and Booth and all those other great players, and and this is when I get the team, Um, you know, and and he knew going into the season that they were going to be in trouble, but he didn't think they were going to be in that much trouble.
2: Right, right, and I guess, what were expectations for fans going into that? Because I know 87 was a rough season, but... I felt like this year going in, the 2019 Oriole fans, for the most part, were expecting losing. And you'd look at this roster and say, okay, that's a team that's going to lose. It's hard for me to look at the 88 roster and and say, well, that's a team that's going to lose.
4: Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, look, I, I don't think they had great expectations for them uh, in 88. I think the fans were one of those, if everything went right, they had a chance to maybe surprise the people. You know, it was one of those, you know, look, everyone's zero and zero. We got some good players. We got some players that are still left over from the 83 team. Can Scotty, if Scotty McGregor can come back healthy, if Mike Boddicker can, you know, return to form, if Bull Tank can hold up, you know, if some of these young players that they took a chance on developed, if some of these fringe players that they brought in, you know, were, you know, lived up to their expectations, they had a shot. And, and really, it was just a poorly constructed team. It was, um, you know, there was no chemistry as far as, as that goes. Um, there wasn't a lot of talent. Um, and it was one that just got away from it very quickly. I mean, opening day was 12 nothing, and it just kind of lost to the Brewers, and it just they just never recovered.
2: Right, right. All right. The book is A Season to Forget The Story of the 1988 Orioles. Uh, I'm going to make sure we share it on all of our social medias and everything. If you just Google it, it's the first thing that comes up is the Amazon link. I love that the. Uh, that in the Amazon thing, it says its categories as teen and young adult. Because as much as I think, oh, it's the '88 Orioles. This would be a great Father's Day gift, which it would be. I also think of like as a child uh, that grew up in there with the '88, '89 Orioles. Like baseball was my life then, and to read like about that as another kid, it seems like a great thing to to help pass down this story as you, as you're watching and going to the games with your kids now and saying. I know the Orioles are bad now, but you've got this excitement and you've got uh Mike Elias talking about all this and everything and you've got a hope. Let me remind you about the worst season I've ever watched as baseball and it's a great way to pass this down to your to your kid. Um but I want to I want to kind of parallel this season a little bit more to to 88. And For the fans who are going out there, we're seeing the stadiums. No one's going. The stadium's empty. I think mass and ratings are still pretty good, which is something different than baseball back in 88. But um, clearly everything's down. There's negativity about the Orioles. What did you learn from getting so in-depth with the 88 Orioles that would help an Oriole fan dealing with today's losing?
4: Well, I think, look, uh, sports are cyclical. Um, you know, losing isn't forever. Look, even though they didn't um, project it out long term, you know, look, you talked about it. the '89 season came right after the '88 season. That why not season, which was probably my favorite season ever to watch Orioles. And you know, even though they came down to the final weekend and lost, um, you know, in a time when there was the Blue Jays and lost out on the AL East, and a time when there was no wild card and didn't make the playoffs, it was just such an exciting time. And I think because you dealt with the pain of '88, the winning. Of 89 was felt that much more exciting. The only parallel I can make to of today's fans probably could relate to would be the 2012 Orioles who won the wild card, came out of nowhere, um, after what 14 straight seasons of losing. Um, and, and so, you know, all those Orioles that couldn't remember anything else but losing and then have this playoff run. Um, you know, and then, then of course it, it stretches into you know, 2014, 2016, where there was postseason play as well. I think that's you know, sometimes with sports, you don't appreciate the winning until you've dealt with the losing. You, know, you look at the Braves, for example, you know, the, the great teams of the 90s, right? The uh, the team, when when, when the, the emotion that the fans felt in 91, when they got to the World Series, went worse to the first, and you saw, you know, after all those years of losing in Atlanta and the same thing with Minnesota, all those years of losing, you know, but then as, as the Braves won, you know, they the fans didn't come out as much. You know, they had a hard time selling out games because people got complacent, right? So when you deal with that, you know, when you deal with that losing, it makes the winning feel that much more uh, important.
2: Yeah, I totally get it, and I I remember saying that throughout the the 2012 season. Is if you weren't there for 2005, six, seven, 8, if you didn't experience all that losing, you didn't understand what we were going through in 2012. And you, when you look back at, I'm just like you, that the 89 season is my favorite season because it hit me right at the right age and uh, the excitement with no expectations. We dream for a season like that back in Baltimore. Uh, But when you talk to a newer fan, they don't quite understand because they look back at the 89 and say, oh, well, you guys didn't even make it in the playoffs. (laughs) I mean, but that team was fun, and it was was like the Buckle Up Birds of 2012 where – when you outdo those expectations and bring winning back, it just brings joy to the, to the city. And it's, uh, we hear all the time about winning fixes everything. And so I love the hope, yeah, and the hope that you're given for this team now.
4: I mean, it's going to be a look. It's, uh, you know, like the 76ers said to follow the process, right? I mean, it was, uh, let's just hope that the process works. Um, and, and you know, look, uh, I, I do feel like to look, they showed us in 2012, 13, 14, you know, and in that stretch, especially in 2014, you know, when they won, the fans came out. And I think that'll happen again, despite all of that. Look, and we can talk about all the other reasons people aren't coming downtown to the to, to the stadium. There's a whole bunch of other socioeconomic and political reasons we could talk about, but that's that's, a, that's for another platform, another day, um, you know, that, that that they may not be coming out. But I think at the end of the day, if when they start winning, fans will start coming out again.
2: I totally agree. All right, Ron, thank you for coming on Section 336. We want everyone to go out and get A Season to Forget. It's available on Amazon, Kindle, and hardcover. I I love the audiobook style, so for me to sit down and actually read a book was, was something I hadn't done in a while, but I really enjoyed this book, and uh, it's something I'm going to pass on to my dad for Father's Day as well, and I hope more people do that. And it's Memorial Day weekend coming up, so you need a book to take to the beach. Grab the hardcover. Grab the Kindle all on Amazon. Ron, thank you for
4: joining us. Have a great day. Thank you guys so much. On to the field.
2: In Baltimore last night, baseball fans were in a much happier mood, as correspondent Richard Valeriani reports.
4: The atmosphere was more Mardi Gras than Major League as a near-sellout crowd of over 50,000 people showed up for what was billed as Fantastic Fans Night. The party-minded fans gave their beloved birds a standing ovation before the game started and then cheered each play as though they were rooting for a champion instead of a team that has compiled the worst record in baseball history.
3: These are the Orioles. I'm from Baltimore. This is my team.
4: The Orioles are the first team in baseball history to start a season by losing 21 games in a row. They're also the first team in baseball history to draw a crowd of 50,000 people with a record of 1-23.
3: Nice. All right, Josh. Well, we uh, appreciate you sitting down um, with Ron Snyder. It's a, it's a cool conversation. Do you- well, do you guys
2: think uh, – we talked about how, like, the 88 – like, the fans in 88 got behind the Orioles and supported the Orioles, and it was – reminded me of all the fans that were getting excited for, like, Chris Davis in the street. Yeah. <laughs> and t- kind of cheering him on and saying, well, he's our lovable loser. Yeah. Uh, do you think the fans will get behind, like, this Michael Elias team this year, like, these losers? They won't bring 50,000 like they did out in 88 – but do you think it'll get to a point where it's like kind of like us, where when the Orioles win, it's just a pleasant surprise? I don't know. If, or do you, like, do you think the hatred will stop? I, if I could
1: look into a crystal ball three years from now, I, I believe, and I hope that I'm right, that I will have a hard time naming four or five guys that are on this team right now. Hands are out. Yeah, broken. like those guys will be erased from my memory, hopefully by the time the Orioles are good again.
3: Bert's game time is going to be really hard in five years.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I'll yeah. be like asking, really "Where's like... Dwight Smith Junior. playing now?" <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> right. I don't think there's anyone right now that's on the roster today that'll be here when the Orioles are good. Yeah,
3: out. but at the same time, I go back to Brendan Hyde's first win, and the David has his first win. How they, they, they did that cart and the whatever the the cart shower.
2: All right, the cart boys. Yeah,
3: thing. and there's something yeah. about that seems so it long. Does, I though. know. But but there's something cool about a team with no expectations. All these players, everyone knows, like what Burt said is not like a mystery. We all know that this isn't a major league talented team, right? Like half these guys would not make the major league club of a competing team. And so that makes them, I think in some ways, more likable because it's relatable to suck and you cheer for lovable losers. And so I think in that respect, um, I think there's something endearing about people who are overmatched and still playing. Hey, listen, we're beating the Yankees right now. That's ridiculous. There is yeah, The Yankees fine. should never lose to us. Their roster is so much better than ours. They should never lose to us. And we're beating them, and that's kind of cool, and that's kind of fun, and that's something to to cheer for get excited for. Um, I, I don't know, in this age of Twitter, if you can have that same thing where people can kind of – just drop just the cynicism, happy. yeah, and just kind of embrace and embrace what the organization's doing. Because when Michael Elias was hired, all fans were talking the right game. Yeah, it's going in the right direction. Yeah, this is good. And right. then now, just like two months in, sabermetrics isn't working. What's going on? Why do they suck, guys? Beginning the season, we all said this would happen. None of this is a surprise. Um, the sabermetrics is helping us to draft and develop players. You're not going to see that um, David Hess. Turn into Cy Young. All right. This was right. never look, going look to happen. To Everything so far this season is going according to plan. Nothing has happened this season that should make you question Michael Elias or the direction of this team. And so, if you right. look to look to Delmarva, look to Frederick, yeah. and even look to Bill. Yeah. If you thought the Orioles were heading in the right direction when the season started and they hired Michael Elias, you cannot have a different opinion now. Nothing has happened to change your opinion. So Orido fans who are now mad but were on board at the beginning of the season, I don't understand where you're coming from. What what if they've really blowed the draft? Yeah, but even if they really blow the draft, we won't even know about that for four more years. Right. So, as long as it's as long as it's one of those top players. What if they choose some pitcher you've never heard of? Yeah. But Michael Elias won't do that. No, they won't yeah. do that. Now Dan Duquette might I have, still... but Michael
2: won't do that. <laughs> right. Right. I still think though. We need to come up with some type of bet, the three of us, and the loser has to get one of the jerseys of these forgettable guys. <laughs> like, an Al, like an Alberto jersey that you're going to have to have for five years yeah, Just don't
3: give me a starting pitching jersey uh, or one of these bullpen arm jerseys and I'll be okay. Don't okay, give me exactly, a Cody Carroll. All right? We're going to get you like a Paul Fry jersey.
1: <laughs> I'd get an Alberto jersey just so that I can chop the O off of it at the end and when he's long gone, it'd just be an Albert jersey.
3: Yeah, you, But you, you know who's jersey – yeah, go ahead. I was
1: going to say you spoke to the fact that a lot of these guys uh, are lovable losers, that they would not make the major league squad of any other serious contenders this year. Uh, but in the sense to make them worth cheering for or worth supporting, you could say for how terrible they are, uh, I could pitch better than this guy. And you might not be wrong.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right? That is true. Remember, years ago, we were going to do a a contest between the three of us saying we could make it into the rotation. <laughs> I think this year we might actually be able to make it into the bullpen.
3: That's true. That's true. I could literally hit better than Chris Davis hit this weekend. Yeah, that's true. Hey, um, but you know who might – these guys won't be part of the world's future, but you know who might – is a guy named Hunter Harvey,
1: mm-hmm.
3: um, and you can find Hunter Harvey uh, currently playing for the Bowie Baysox. Speaking is of Baysox, Stewart there also. No, he's in Norfolk. All right, never mind. He was with Bowie last year. All right, yeah. but
2: anyway, speaking of Baysox, yeah.
3: Can I, can I can I make this transition, Josh? Jeez. Uh, st- All right, <laughs> make, the, make the transition. Uh, you but you know who is there? Our our former major league pitcher who we cut and then traded for, Pedro Arojo. Oh, boy.
2: Oh, that's a sell. That's how you sell the event. Though
3: You know what pitcher I'm kind of most excited about out of all those guys? Is a guy named – have you guys heard this name? Zach Lothar.
2: Yes. Yeah, he
3: was like pitcher of the week or something. This yeah, week. he was pitcher of the week th- this week. Um, he's been tearing it up at every level. And he's never a top prospect because his fastball is only like 92. And people say you got to throw 98 to be a top prospect. But everywhere he – Pitches. He dominates and strikes everybody out. So Zach Lothar is having a great year at Bowie. Um, So I would love to see either Zach Zach Lothar or Hunter Harvey on Father's Day Sunday when we go to Day at the Bay with Section 336. So Day at the Bay, uh, uh, Father's Day is coming up here, what, in three Sundays? I don't know.
2: Yeah, it's coming up quick. I think it's four weeks
1: away three four yeah four sundays away but
2: but but that doesn't mean to hesitate to get your tickets we've been promoting it for yeah i meant four sundays it's coming up quick not as in take your time (laughs) right coming up quick you can get uh free bay Sox uh beer glasses i believe it's pint glasses yep uh, pint glasses yeah not like eyeglasses pint glasses and uh you can play catch on the field with your dad or whoever you want to – whoever you want to call dad, you can play <laughs> – You with can play catch video. with me
3: and call me dad.
2: Right. And then you get to hang out with us in really good seats right behind – another coconut. it's only $10. $10, yeah. $10 for us and a bunch of coconuts. And uh, I believe we are throwing out the first pitch.
3: If coconuts come. So, yeah.
2: Right. Yeah, if coconuts come. Assuming that you guys show up and show your support for us and for the Bay Sox, we will be throwing out the first pitch, which means – we really get to see if we can pitch better than Pedro Aroha.
3: <laughs> yeah, um, so it's a great deal, ten bucks. It's a great way to spend Father's Day with, with with your father or with your or by yourself. Who cares? Um, uh, you can spend it at at Bowie Baseball Stadium with us. So get your tickets through Section336.com.
2: Yeah, right at the top it says Father's Day with 336. I believe. Hey, get yo. them now. You get you can even if you go on now you can even pick your exact seat. It's cool. They show you the seat and location. And, you can, and it tells you who's sitting there. So if you want to sit next to Bert, if you're a creepy guy who wants to, who's wants who been stalking Bert, you can pick that seat right next oh, to him. Oh, Bert. First, uh, did it say
3: what Bert, Bert, uh, seat Bert's sitting in? I believe, it's, yeah. It does. says what the
1: five seats I have. If you're a weirdo, I'm going to put my wife over there.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, I was going to say. What family member. What a gentleman, what Bert. What a buddy. gentleman. Chivalrous of you. And it's going to be my last 336 uh, event. Maybe my last ball game. I know. I think I'll get to an Oriole game before I leave. But it, it'll be my last uh, event that we've got on the calendar right now before I head to Florida. Me too. Yeah. I'm heading
1: to Florida right after that too. <laughs>
2: well, that's true. I'll be holding down the court in Maryland. Already, Bert and I are already planning our, our jumbo shrimp meetup. <laughs>
1: Jacksonville. Wouldn't it be crazy if we sell more tickets for a junk Jacksonville jumbo shrimp event than uh, Bowie Baysox Father's Day? <laughs> Uh, yeah, that
3: was, if that's the uh, case yeah, we're that, picking up and moving good. the whole show to Florida
2: <laughs> Hey, you guys want to do a, a uh, raised cast spin-off
3: I think most you know, race fans don't I'm, know what a podcast is they got uh, like, like some older fans you
2: know, I'm I'm all for like sticking out the Orioles and lifelong Oriole fans what? but I do know that I do know that when a baseball team wins their podcasts get more downloads yeah. So I'm just saying, if you want to transition to a raised cast, we can do a section like two times. We should change every spin-off. year
3: to who we think is going to win the World Series and just do yeah, exactly. that team's just podcast.
2: Get that fan base. Yep, Get the advertising dollars and get out. Yeah, and go.
3: Just never pick the Nationals because they always project to win the World Series and they never do. <laughs> Sucks to be a Nationals fan this year. Right.
2: And that that it's like Nationals, Yankees, Red Sox. Those are some teams where it's uh, tough to pretend to be a fan.
3: Yeah, though a lot of people do. A lot of people, especially in our area, make make the crossover.
2: Yeah, how about it, intern? Yeah.
3: <laughs> Jason Lacampaca, looking at you. <laughs> Forgot about him. All right, boys and girls. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, go ahead and give us a nice review on iTunes. and get... Thank you, Ron Snyder.
2: Go pick up Yeah,
3: uh, uh, shout out to Ron Snyder for coming on the show. Get his book. Um, yeah, you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, help me get more Twitter followers than my mommy. You can follow me at section336. You can follow Josh on Twitter. At Josh and you can follow Bert on Twitter. At Bert Roadie. Thanks for listening, boys and girls. And as always, go O's.
1: Thank you for listening to the Section 336 podcast. Please go to iTunes and Facebook for all complaints or the occasional compliment. If I were you, I would not take any baseball advice from these guys. Josh and Matt were raised by an Orioles-obsessed father, and Bert,
2: uh, well, Bert fell in love with Don Mattingly. He has a thing for mustaches.
1: With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band.
2: Next up for lead guitar. You're in
1: cool <laughs> yep even easier than that and with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts is it even a decision that's banking reimagined what's in your wallet terms apply see capital one.com bank for details capital one and a member fdic
0: this week at macy's find valentine's day gifts for all your loves like fragrance gift sets they'll adore